Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics, including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, it's Greg Steer of Dare to Share, which is involved in motivating and training young people to share their faith. The ministry has a big event coming up in September, and you can learn more ahead. Then it's Joshua Hynas, who challenges believers to go as far as to set a goal regarding winning people to Christ. Plus some encouragement from Lisa Whittle to walk in God's strength in the midst of a fearful world. And on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from Kristen Price, who shares insight on laying aside the pursuit of perfection to experience the ways of God. Finally, with some commentary on the meaning and power of words, it's Stuart Shepherd of Family Policy Alliance, a public policy partner of Focus on the Family. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Greg Steer is the founder and CEO of Dare to Share, which is an organization challenging and equipping young people to share their faith. The ministry will be sponsoring the Dare to Share live event September 23rd, including a live simulcast and hands-on sharing of faith in communities. Here now from a recent conversation is Greg Steer. I planted a church in 89, started Dare to Share on the side in 91, and was planning on doing both because I'm a big believer in the local church. I plan on doing both for the rest of my life. And then April 20th, 1999, the Columbine High School massacre took place. And my wife's a teacher in the same district, and it just broke my heart. And so I resigned from the church to do Dare to Share full-time. And now we exist to energize the church, to mobilize youth, to gospelize their world. And we just want to see an army of teenagers around the nation, around the world, rise up and speak up the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we're seeing. Um, That's what Dare to Share Live is all about. We're going to be mobilizing, God willing, 50,000 teenagers from coast to coast uh, to share the gospel all in one day. We're hoping for 300,000 gospel conversations on September 23rd. And so we're excited for it and pumped for it and recruiting host churches at a rapid pace to try to get more more students trained. You're not only training young people, getting them together, but there's some hands-on that's going on. It's not a matter of just sitting in an arena or being a part of a conference all day. It's like getting getting trained, getting motivated, and then going out into the community. Is that right? That's totally right. So what's going to happen on September 23rd is it's going to be a live broadcast from Denver uh, and in all these host churches across the nation, we're going to have live bands in every room, live MCs slash trainers in every room. So it's going to feel like a live event in every room. And then at the exact same, so exact same time, students will be trained. So, you know, the kids in Brooklyn are going to be trained uh, at the same time as the students in Florida, at the same time as the students in San Diego. Uh, and then everybody goes out for two and a half hours to collect canned food for a local rescue mission and share the gospel. Uh, and then we come back for a national prayer and praise party. And all the while, every student is going to have a Dare to Share Live app where they can upload Instagram, Snapchat, gospel conversations, starting videos to their feed and create social media gospel conversations. They're going to text out to their friends to create friend-to-friend gospel conversations, and then they're going to go out into the community to share Christ in love with strangers as they collect canned food for a local rescue mission. We're hoping that we can feed thousands of families and have 300,000 gospel conversations in a single day. So we're really excited for Dare to Share Live. 
I wanted you to take our listeners back. You mentioned that you were pastoring a church. You had founded Dare to Share to really do youth evangelism and to help raise up young people to share their faith. And then Columbine happened, 1999. Talk about what impact that had on you and your ministry. Well, you know, I started thinking, uh, you know, the two shooters, Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold, you know, were disenfranchised, bad, broken, and bullied. And I started thinking to myself, where were all the Christian kids to reach out to them? And then I started thinking, you know, there's Christian kids on every high school and middle school in America. And what if we mobilize them to be the change agents on their campus, to sit at the table with that disenfranchised suicidal kid or the kid that could be on the verge of a school shooting or those students that just cannot find satisfaction in this world and are looking for hope? You know, what if we mobilize them as missionaries for the gospel full time? And so that's what we're, that's why I resigned from the church to do Dare to Share. And, and for 25 years, we've been doing conferences, trained a million teenagers through events and resources all around the nation, all around the world. But we finished our last Dare to Share two day conference two months ago because we thought, you know what? There's no way we can scale this. We need to reach every teen everywhere. And to do that, we're going to have to change our strategy. And that's why we are going to this live simulcast event on September 23rd, Dare to Share Live. Matter of fact, if listeners want more information about it, then go to dare2sharelive.org. It's the number two, dare2sharelive.org. And uh, we're really, one of the things we're pushing for, Bob, is to get host churches. So I'm just calling on the listeners, if you're a pastor or a youth pastor, or you know a pastor or a youth pastor, Talk to your church about hosting Dare to Share Live. Our cutoff date for new host churches is June 16th. And so they're going to have to get online quick, fill out the information, submit it, and uh, get everything moved through committee pretty quickly for it to happen. But I just think the South needs to be represented uh, in this movement of God to raise up a generation of teenagers, because our goal ultimately is not just 300,000 gospel conversations. Our goal is a national revival a movement of gospel conversations that kicks off on September 23rd and doesn't stop until every teen hears the gospel of Christ. Greg Steer here on The Intersection. Learn more by visiting the website dare2sharelive.org. And keep in mind the deadline for churches to sign up to be host sites is Friday, June 16th. This is The Intersection Podcast with Joshua Hines. He set aside a career as a physician in order to pursue ministry outreach. In a recent conversation, he discussed some of the principles he lays out in the book, What's Your Soul Goal, Silly? Here now is Joshua Hines. I felt like one day, as I was headed into the practice, and I'm praying about this, I felt like um, that God said to me, well, you want to set all these other goals, what's your soul goal? Hmm. And I knew, imme- I knew immediately it was in reference to, we're trying to set all these other goals that are kind of like earthly goals, but you're on, as a Christian, you're on a mission. I've given you a mission to, to tell people about me and make disciples. And that's a mission that's been given to every single Christian. And so uh, it kind of hit me hard, and I didn't want to answer the question, <laughs> what's your soul goal? Because I knew that, hey, I may be walking into some dangerous territory right here. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah. So as far as adding that word then to the title, how did that come to be? Well, you know, when I really started to think about it, 
um, and pray about it. And I, and I really did not want to answer the question. So what I did was is something that I call thought evasion. I, you, huh. I tried to think about everything else other than what was being asked of me. And, of course, that didn't work. Um, in fact, the longer that I tried to just evade and think about other things and not answer the question, the stronger the question kept on coming back to me every single day. And so, um, so when I started thinking about, you know, which was, I, what I came to understand with, you know, the reason why I put silly in the title is, is because what I found out is, is that um, oftentimes people, um, even Christians, set goals for other things in life. Um, yet it's quite silly that we don't set a specific goal for perhaps the most important thing that God has given us to do while we're here on earth. And what I mean by that is maybe you set a goal for running something as simple as a 5K or a marathon. And you set very specific goals to do those things. Or maybe it's your retirement. You set a very specific goal for the savings of your, your retirement. And then you, then you structure your whole life around trying to reach those goals. And then when you really think about it, it's like, well, if you can set very specific goals for those things, it's kind of silly that we can't set a specific goal for doing the one mission that God has called us to do while we're here on earth. And what I've done in this book is I've kind of walked through exactly um, how to go about, uh, you know, explaining what a soul goal is and then going about how you may uh, come across setting a soul goal for yourself. Now, uh, there's quite a bit in the book on that, so it's, it's very hard to get all that in in a, in a very short interview like this. Um, however, what I talk about uh, a lot is, is praying, you know, asking God, hey, how many people do you want me to reach? Evaluating how many people are you reaching right now? Uh, if we've been given this mission to tell other people about Jesus, well, something very simple and very practical you can do and ask yourself is, well, how well am I doing that? And then once you understand where you're at in that process, maybe, maybe you tell somebody about Jesus once a week, maybe twice a week, maybe once a month. Wherever you at, are at, it makes sense to me that you need to understand that, first of all, where, in, each person is indiv individually different, right? But then also maybe you want to set a, a goal on increasing your effectiveness. Maybe you, maybe you are telling one person on average a week about Jesus or inviting them to church. Um, there's many different ways to tell and make disciples. And so, you know, tell people about Jesus and make disciples. So I walk through that process as well in the book on giving some thoughts and some ideas on developing your own individual unique plan for you that you're going to carry out. Uh, you're going to work towards doing to constantly increase your effectiveness in the mission that God has given us to reach other people. Joshua Highness here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to soulgoalbook.com. His website is joshuahines, H-E-I-N-E-S, dot com. This is The Intersection with Lisa Whittle. She discussed some elements related to her book, Put Your Warrior Boots On, Walking Jesus Strong Once and for All. Here now some comments from Lisa Whittle. I began to think about, um, you know, walking through life. You know, we're all walking through life, and we've all got to make the climb one way or another. I mean, you know, if we're still breathing, we're walking through this life. And so, you know, we can walk through this life in 
flip-flops if we want. Now, that's great. I love to walk in flip-flops in my regular everyday life, right, through the summer especially. I live in them. But that's fine for our physical apparel. But when we're talking about a spiritual life that we're walking through, our spiritual life, uh, what I say in the book is that a crazy hard world calls for a crazy strong Jesus follower. So flip-flops, as we walk through this life, as we walk on rough terrain, uh, as we walk over hills, and I open the book talking about walking um, up a hill, you know, flip-flops aren't going to cut it. We need uh, footwear with strong soles. We need to lace up our shoes. We need to be able to walk strong through any kind of terrain that we walk through, spiritually speaking. And so warrior boots is just really an analogy of, of spiritual strength. We have to be prepared in the right kind of shoes to walk through a world that's hard. And so if we don't prepare our life, if we just throw on whatever kind of footwear that we see, you know, lying around or, you know, that, you know, some kind of casual footwear, we're not going to be able to walk strong and, and climb the hills and do the things that we need to do in that, in those kinds of shoes. And so really that's where it came from. It's just a visual for the reader of strength. And so that's where I arrived at that. I understand that you talk about three different kinds of warrior boots in the book. Take us through those, if you would. Yes. So, you know, as we're talking through this, I kind of put it in sections. There's eight declarations in the book, but I have them sectioned off. And so the first kind of boots that I believe we have to wear are the boots of standard. And within that, I talk about how now is the time to be raising our standards, not lowering them to meet the world and meet culture. So we've got to know what we believe, which is very different than just kind of spouting opinion, which I think we're very good at. Sometimes I think that covers us not really knowing what we believe in our core, according to the word of God. So we've got to know what we believe, be grounded in that, in our warrior boots, a standard. And then we've got to be willing to tell the truth to ourselves and tell the truth to others secondarily. But we've got to be honest with ourselves. I think a lot of us are, have a struggle with really telling ourselves the truth about where we are spiritually and things like that. But the truth is what sets us free. And a lot of us are not strong because we're not free. And we're not free because we haven't told ourselves the truth. And so that's the boots of standard. And then comes the boots of strength, which really talks about a bolder faith and not settling for complacency anymore, which complacency is the foe of spiritual growth, according to Tozer. And so I talk about um, going on record, uh, rising up and standing firm in, in a righteous anger. I think we know uh, flesh anger, that's something we're familiar with. But I talk about righteous anger and what that looks like. I talked about I talk about there what an active faith looks like versus a passive faith. I think some of us think, well, faith is faith. No, actually it's not. There's a way that we activate our faith um, rather than sit passively. And so that's the boost of strength, where we really get our strength is from having a bolder faith in our life. And then the boots of trust, which – I think a lot of us, especially us that are believers for a long time, think we, we really are used to that word trust. We know that word trust. Um, but trust is not just, you know, this one-time thing. This is a, a, a long-time choice over and over again. So I talk, about, I talk about choosing God, and I talk about following God forever. And these are some important things um, that God really impressed on me uh, according to Deuteronomy 30 and what he talks about, and you've got to choose to love, obey, and commit, and um, following him, what that looks like in this day where we follow a lot of people and 
being savvy to, to what following really looks like. And so those are the three types of boots, boots of standard, boots of strength, and boots of trust as we walk through this world. Uh, Jesus Strong. Lisa Whittle here on The Intersection. Learn more by going to the website warriorbootsbook.com or her website is lisawhittle, W-H-I-T-T-L-E dot com. This is The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House. The website address is meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand, through which you can listen to and download full conversations from recent guests on The Intersection. Also, you can subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs can be accessed. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access The Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content as well. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Kristen Price is a writer for the Mom Initiative, as well as co-founder of an online Bible study community called Undivided Women. Recently, she discussed with me some of the principles she relates in the book, Invited, Live a Life of Connection, Not Perfection. Here now is Kristen Price. You know, one of the stories that I share in the book, um, I share a lot of my own personal mishaps and struggles with perfection and anxiety. And, you know, one of the things that I, um, one Lent uh, recently, I was going through Lent and I just, you know, we had just moved into our, our new house and um, I was wanting everything to be perfect and all put in order, and I was having a lot of anxiety just about the boxes that were all over our house, and I was just so ready for it to feel like normal again. And I remember during Lent, I was, you know, reading about, um, you know, how after Jesus, you know, Peter denied Jesus three times, and then afterwards, Jesus met him on the beach and they kind of had that conversation where, you know, Jesus looked at Peter and was like, do you love me? And he's like, yes, God, I love you. Or yes, Jesus, I love you. And I kind of took away from that a different, you know, that story that I heard so many times, but um, I think, you know, a phrase that kind of came out of that story and something that helped me with my own anxiety is that we are always going to carry these thorns with us. We are always going to have these imperfections, these constant things that we battle. Um, you know, they're never going to just completely go away. Um, but I think our thorns can lead us to the throne of grace. Mm. And so, you know, Jesus gave Peter grace and he forgave him and he does that with us too. And so I think for us to just continue to, you know, confess and then, um, to celebrate, you know, um, once we confess our thorns, uh, we can know that we are free and that we have given Jesus those things. So let's celebrate the freedom that we have in him and, and the grace and forgiveness that he gives us. We are always going to be flawed, but we are always going to be forgiven. And so just to continue to keep that at the forefront, whenever we do experience anxiety, I think that can draw us back into his peace and his love and, walking with him. Well, there's a concept I wanted to explore with you that you share in the book, and that is to expect the unexpected. Now, from the standpoint of a planner, how can you expect the unexpected? How can you plan to be surprised? (laughs) You know, um, 
one of the chapters that I write about in the book is kind of this whole event planning cycle. And I've planned so many events. I've been planning events for over 10 years now that I really do see that there is this cycle of, you know, the beginning of the event, you're very excited and it's the time to, you know, have visions and dreams and, you know, just look at everything and get ideas. And then you go into the actual planning process where you're trying to put those ideas on the paper and get them worked out. Um, And then sometime between the planning and the promotion and the actual event, you are always going to have something unexpected happen. Um, one time I was planning an event for women and it was um, in February and it was when we had that snow apocalypse a few years ago here in Alabama. And, you know, that like completely shut down the South and it was the week of our women's conference and we could not have planned that. We do not control the weather, but you know, it was one of those things that I just kind of had to sit back and just say, okay, um, this is happening. So how are we going to deal with it? You know, and I think for us to be planners, like you said, I love to plan. I I love having a calendar. I love having a to-do list, but I feel like sometimes we just got to let go of that to-do list and give it to God and just say, okay, I know something's going to happen. That's going to catch me off guard, but let me, instead of freaking out about it, let me um, you know, have your sense of peace and your calm and help me direct me and guide me when this happens. And I think if we know that something's going, you know, and it's not to be a pessimist and think, oh, well, something's going to go wrong, but it's just to be an idealist is when you're planning such, you know, different things, something is bound to happen that catches you off guard and just to go with it a little bit more. And I think sometimes we can get so worked up. And so I think, you know, for us just to um, be able to not have those breakdowns and to maybe recover more quickly if we do experience those breakdowns, that will help us to enjoy the life that we've been given, the party that we're, we're throwing or the event that we're planning for other people. Kristen Price here on The Intersection. You can find out more through the website, Kristen, that's C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N, Price.com. Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, it's Stuart Shepard, Executive Producer for Creative Communications for Family Policy Alliance, a public policy partner of Focus on the Family. In a recent conversation, he discussed elements relative to the meaning and power of words, including, in the case of the Paris Climate Agreement, the transgender bathroom policy, so-called same-sex marriage, and freedom of religion versus freedom of worship. Here now is some material from that conversation. This is Stuart Shepard. The theme here, Bob, is the previous administration, former President Obama, had a long-running habit of swapping out words, redefining words, changing words, when he didn't like what the Constitution mandated or what the law really said, he would just flip a word. So instead of a treaty, this Paris Accord that President Trump just pulled us out of, he, he dubbed it an executive agreement. And because of that, he was able to skip having to get uh, the Senate to vote on it. And instead of the free exercise of religion guaranteed in the Constitution, he started talking about freedom to worship, uh, which is a constraining description rather than a liberating one. And then you've got what you just described, and that is public schools, elementary schools, middle schools, high schools. Uh, he changed the meaning of one word 
and directed his uh, Department of Justice and Department of Education to send out a letter about it that basically took the word sex, meaning boys and girls, and said it means whatever your gender identity is. No matter that the people who passed the law clearly did not have that in mind and that there's no interpretation of that word that meets what he wanted, he just changed the meaning of the word and then you know, started trying to apply the desired outcome, which is the idea that if a girl with gender dysphoria says she identifies as a boy, that she can go in the boy's locker room. And if a boy who says he identifies as a girl because he's confused about his gender, that he can then stay in a hotel room with a girl on a school trip. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not making up these examples. This is what the mandate from the Obama administration laid out for public schools to follow. This is currently being fought out in courts. I mean, we saw a case this week where a court took the Obama interpretation of the meaning of words in order to change the clear meaning of that law. We're seeing this play out. I mean, we've done stories on a high school athlete in Alaska who found herself in the state championship running against a boy who said he identified as a girl. Now, in that case, he wasn't particularly fast, so she still beat him. But we're, she made the case and, and made the very clear argument that because he was in that race, there were girls who were not even allowed to compete. They were pushed out of the opportunity to compete because we do have boys' athletics and girls' athletics. There's a, there's a biological reason for that. It is a common sense, easily understandable reason for that because boys as a group have different physical capabilities than girls. And a boy typically can outrun a girl, not always. A boy can outwrestle a girl, but not always. A boy can jump higher than a girl playing basketball, not always. But on average, overall, girls are not able to compete at the same level as boys when it comes to athletics, which is why we have Title IX that you referenced to tell schools that we need you to create, a, in this case, I mean, it's in the literal sense, a level playing field for girls to be able to participate in sports, to have opportunities for scholarships to go to college. Are you with me so far? I mean, that's an important part of this. When we start saying that, oh, anybody can be a girl that wants to be a girl, then it no longer means anything to be a girl. And they're mm, going to be yeah. pushed out of the opportunity for these scholarships. I mean, a pretty good boy runner who could win at a state competition against girls could then take a scholarship away from a girl. Are you OK with that? Those, if you're listening to this right now, do you think that's fair that a girl should lose a college scholarship to a so-so boy runner because he can identify as a girl and then beat her out of that of that scholarship. Do you think that's fair? It's not, is it? it? I mean, it's just not. I'll just say it in so many words. There's also a question of privacy as far as women and girls, moms and daughters. Do they have a reasonable expectation when they walk into the showers at their high school that there's not going to be a boy who says he identifies as a girl in that shower area. I think that they do. And I think as men, as a father, as a husband, that I have a right to defend that. And I should defend that. We should stand up and let our voices be heard and say, no, this is not, 
This is not the right way. Stuart Shepard here on The Intersection. The website address is FamilyPolicyAlliance.com. Well, that just about wraps up this edition of The Intersection Podcast. It's a weekly production of The Meeting House, and the website address is MeetingHouseOnline.info. Through that website, you can get connected to the download center marked Meeting House On Demand. You can also subscribe to The Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software each week. Two blogs are accessible. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can get connected to video content also. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.